Good morning, church family. Be seated. God bless you. So thankful that you are here. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. While you are turning there, I want to mention a couple of things to you just to keep them on your radar. We've got our Easter egg hunt today, 3.30 to 5.30 at Camp Chioka. Y'all, y'all ought to come to that. That's a really fun event, a good time to celebrate the season. Yes, it's here. Okay, all right. So, uh, Amy, thank you for that. Uh, the Easter egg hunt is right here, 3.30 to 5.30. Now, please come to that. Celebrate this season with your forever family. Uh, I'm not always the most informed person on staff, but I'll get the word out. Okay, second thing I want you to do this morning, kind of a housekeeping thing. On your bulletin on the back, bottom left corner, is our WFR mission statement. Uh, the mission of WFR Church is to make disciples who love God, love others, and share Jesus Christ. Uh, Easter season is an excellent time to invite somebody you know to worship your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with you. Uh, we've got a lot of awesome opportunities. The Easter egg hunt here today, the Passover Seder, you saw that video. That's April 14th uh, at 5 p.m. Uh, it's free. Our church staff is putting an awesome evening together. You just have to have a ticket and sign up so that we know who all is going to be there and can have a place prepared for you. It's those kinds of events that we as a church do to carry out our mission statement, to make disciples who love God, love others, and share Jesus, inviting somebody to the Easter egg hunt, inviting somebody to the Passover Seder, inviting somebody to WFR Church to worship the Lord Jesus Christ over Easter. This is how we as a church fulfill this mission statement. Uh, I'm really excited about this uh, sermon series that I'm getting ready to teach uh, to prepare our hearts for Easter called Follow Me to Your Rescue. Uh, before I get there, I want to take off my uh, ministry hat for a little bit. And I want to just tell you how much I appreciate you as a church family. Uh, through the series that, that God led me uh, to speak on and to teach on uh, about forgiveness, God did a work in my heart and in the heart of my family. And you have been so encouraging and so supportive of that. And I just want to say how much I appreciate it. Uh, I also want to tell you how much I appreciate the fact that we have a church that is real, where we can tell what's going on with us, we can share, we can be honest. John 8.32 says the truth will set you free. And we are a church that believes that and that rallies around each other when we are walking through tough, difficult seasons in life. And so often ministry is not just God doing a work in your life through me. It's God through the Spirit doing a work in my life too. And I'm so thankful to have a church where we can be open and honest about God working in each of our lives. Um, I don't know a lot about very much, but I do know a lot about God healing people's brokenness and rescuing them from a miry pit, a pit of darkness, a pit of bondage, and a pit of slavery. And the book of Exodus is the story of God's people who have been oppressed and in bondage and find themselves in slavery and God delivering his people and setting his people free. 
There isn't a better story to celebrate or to point us to the Easter Sunday uh, festival, the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, than the story of Passover, than the story of God freeing his people from bondage in Egypt and leading them out of slavery. I'm going to be speaking four lessons from Exodus chapter 6. I've got this on the screen for you this morning. This is also in your notes on the church app, and you can follow along. So Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says this, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Here are four promises of Passover that God speaks to his people through Moses in this passage of scripture. The first thing God says is, hey Israel, I'm going to bring you out. I am going to rescue you. I see your slavery. I see that you're oppressed. I see that you're being abused. I see that you are in a faraway foreign country, not the land I promised you. And I am going to rescue you. We're going to talk about that today. God's plan to bring his people out of captivity. The next thing God says in this section of scripture is, I'm not just going to bring you out, but I am going to set you free. Just because you've been brought out of slavery doesn't mean your heart and mind have been transformed. We're going to look at the story of the Exodus, and we're going to see that the Israelites, even though they've been brought out of Egypt, have the same mindset and their heart set on the same things that they did when they were in slavery. Sometimes God just doesn't need to bring us out of slavery. He needs to get the slavery out of us. I can't wait for God to teach us about what God's plan is to transform your heart and your mind and set you free. Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about God's plan of redemption. Here's the capital T truth about God setting his people free. It costs something. There is no such thing as freedom without a price. And God paid the greatest price imaginable ever recorded in history. He gave his one and only begotten son who was without sin yet became sin so that those of us might be, who, who are, who are, who are unrighteous and sinful and enslaved might be made the righteousness of God through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate that sacrifice and remember the price that our Lord Jesus Christ paid to redeem us on Easter Sunday. You know, God doesn't bring us out and set us free and redeem us just to leave us there. God brings us out and sets us free and redeems us so that we can become rescuers of other people who are in slavery. And that's the purpose for which you've been created. To love God, to love others, and share Jesus. At WFR Church, we give you opportunities to fulfill that mission. And this time of year, I am begging you to get on mission. These lessons are directed towards people who are in bondage. And that is some of you. And you're going to have to get honest with yourself over the course of these next few lessons if you want the Lord to set you free. 
But I promise you this, if you're not in bondage right now, you know someone that is, and they are depending on you to help them be rescued by connecting them to the life-giving message of the love and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's going to use you this Easter season to help free someone from the bondage of slavery that they're in. But you've got to get on mission to do that. You've got to get bold. You've got to invite somebody, and you've got to participate in that process. So at this point in Scripture, God tells Moses to let the Israelites know, I am going to bring you out. Well, how did God's people get in captivity in Egypt anyway? What were the chosen people of God who had lived in the land of Canaan, the land that flowed with milk and honey? What were God's people doing in captivity in Egypt? I want to give you some background on that so you can really understand the nature of this situation. The first thing that happens in Genesis 42 is that there is famine in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. And here's the truth. Sometimes we find ourselves living in the land of promise and life is not always easy. Sometimes where God wants us to be, living His purpose and plan and difficulty strikes, tragedy hits. We go through a season of famine. That doesn't mean you're not living in God's plan. That doesn't mean you're not where God wants you to be. That doesn't mean that God's forgotten about you or given up on you. It just means that life is difficult and sometimes you're going to go through seasons where it feels like it hasn't rained in years and it's dry and there's no fruit and there's famine and I'm hungry and I don't know what to do. That's the situation God's people find themselves in. Genesis 42, Jacob learns... That in Egypt there's grain, there's famine all over the world, and in Egypt there's grain. And he says to his sons, why do we just keep looking around at each other, feeling sorry for ourselves? Why, why don't we do something about this? So he continues, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. As I was reading this story last week, I thought of how much it sounded like the journey of life. So uh, God's, God's people right here are living in Canaan, the land that flows with milk and honey. And I think that that's like my house in a way for my own children, a land that flows with milk and honey. And anytime they need milk, all they got to do is open the fridge and there's some milk in the fridge. When they want some honey, there's honey in the cupboard. Like our house for my kiddos right now is the land of plenty, the land of promise. And I want to just say this. At my season of life, uh, Kirsten and I will talk about this often. Man, what we wouldn't give to go back to being kids again. We would have really exploited that. Never have to cook, never have to clean, never have to work. People getting you dressed, rubbing your back to go to sleep, singing you songs, packing your lunch. If that's not a land that flows with milk and honey, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what is. Right? But what, what eventually happens, man, the land that flows with milk and honey, our parents' home, stops being enough. So we leave the promised land. What happens in your life and mine when we get out from under that protective umbrella is we often find ourselves in slavery. That's exactly what happened. In Exodus chapter 1, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation, Jacob and his sons, who had come down to Egypt to buy grain and ended up staying down there, all the people from that generation died. 
But they stayed in Egypt and they were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in number and became so numerous that the land, Egypt, was literally filled with these people. Uh, Then, in verse 8, a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Verse 9. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they would join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pethom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed... The more the Israelites here multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. Look at verse 13. And worked them ruthlessly. By the time Moses leads his people out of Egypt, they had been in captivity for 430 years. No freedom, no hope, completely and totally under the oppression of their slave masters. Their physical captivity parallels the spiritual captivity that some people experience in life. you got to ask yourself the question, am I, in any area of my life, being held spiritually captive? Some common areas that we are held spiritually captive in in life, we've talked about this year. Some of those are strongholds of the enemy. Things like guilt and shame, they can literally hold our hearts and our spirits captive. John 8:44 calls our enemy Satan, the father of lies. And and it is Satan's plan to repeat the same lie to you enough times over the course of your life that you begin to believe that lie is true. And when you believe a lie of the enemy to be truth, you're held captive by that thing. Maybe that you maybe maybe there is a vice, a type of sin that you know right now in your life is holding you captive. Maybe it's a substance that holds you captive. Maybe it's lust or sexual immorality that is holding you captive. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's covetousness. Maybe it's pride. Any sin that is holding you captive will ultimately control your life. But I thank God this morning that we serve a creator who doesn't want you, who doesn't want to leave you in captivity, but wants to rescue you from your bondage. For God to rescue you, you gotta know that you're, that you're held captive. And I started to think about this and pray through this and I thought, you know what? If you're really gonna assess your life and decide whether or not you're held in spiritual captivity, you need to ask yourself a few questions. And I've got four questions to ask yourself to figure out, is there an area of my spirit that is held in captivity? Here's the first question I think you got to ask yourself. Do you feel like you don't belong? Do you feel like you just don't quite fit in and that you're out of place? If that's you this morning, you might be in Egypt. You might be in some form of spiritual captivity. If we're, if we're somewhere we don't belong, we're going to feel a sense of anxiety 
or worry. That's a symptom of feeling like we don't belong. If you are somewhere you don't belong, you're going to feel disconnected. This would seem either like other people don't understand us or that we're hiding something we don't want others to know about. And that secret in our lives keeps us from being vulnerable enough to deeply and authentically connect with others. If you're somewhere you don't belong, you're going to stand out. I've told this story before, but I want to tell it again. Uh, preachers are really good at recycling the same story over and over. Can I get an amen on that? Kirsten and I moved down here in 2010, and one of our first Sundays at this church was Duck Commander Sunday. And so Phil was speaking, and we walk in, and I uh, was wearing a suit and a tie and dress shoes, and Kirsten had a dress on. And if you've never been through a Duck Commander Sunday at WFR Church, it's basically camouflage and camouflage face paint Sunday. And there are even people who are wearing duck calls around their necks, which at the time, I don't even know if I would have known what that was. So I walk in, suit, tie, Kirsten's in a dress, kids dressed up in their Sunday best, 90% of the audience full head-to-toe camo, and like 20%, even of the women, had their face painted in camo and duck calls hanging around their necks. That's what standing out feels like, all right? When you just are somewhere, you feel like you don't belong. God's got a purpose and a place for you. And that's not to imply life is going to be easy and you're never going to have any struggle. But if you feel like you don't belong, it's because you're not living out God's purpose in your life, likely because you're in spiritual slavery. Second question you've got to ask yourself. Have you ever been in a situation recently and you wonder, how in the world did I get here? You woke up one morning and didn't know what you had done the night before. Your financial situation is such a wreck, you feel hopeless and not even sure what happened to get you where you are. You're confused, you're uncertain, you've got a lack of confidence, and you've lost your ability to dream. I was talking to someone earlier this week, just broken and bound by sin. He said, Trent, maybe the most miserable symptom of what I'm dealing with in my life right now is I can't even dream anymore. I can't even imagine a future where this particular vice, this particular form of slavery doesn't have me absolutely captivated. I can't even imagine what that looks like anymore. I don't have any energy to even think about tomorrow because I'm so afraid of what's going to happen to me today because of the vice that I'm dealing with. The next thing I feel like would be obvious if you were in spiritual captivity is if you felt like a slave, if you feel like a slave. A couple of words that come to mind in terms of slavery are being trapped. Being trapped and not feeling like there's a way out. If that's you this morning, then God in your life is too small. And the vice in your life is too big. There's no way for a son or daughter of God to feel trapped when the God that we serve is sovereign over the entire universe. Do you feel controlled? Like, like literally your life and your will is in the hands of someone or something else other than the spirit of the living God? That makes you a slave. If you're powerless... 
and don't make decisions, but it feels like the decisions in your life make themselves. You feel like a slave. As I'm, as I'm thinking of the Israelites and, and these ruthless slave masters just forcing them into this toilsome labor, I felt like they must feel as though they do not matter. Like they're just a number without any real value. If that's you this morning, then you feel like a slave in some area of your life. The last thing mentioned there in that text that I read from Exodus chapter 1 is that the taskmasters, the slave masters of the Israelites were being ruthless. And if life feels ruthless to you right now, there may be an area of your life in spiritual captivity. You might feel beaten down if you feel life is being ruthless to you. Here's the truth. You're going to get beat up in life. If you've lived an adult life for any length of time, you know that you're going to get beat up in life. But you can be beat up in life and as a son or daughter of God, never ever actually get beaten down. And there's a difference. Life's going to beat you up. You're going to lose some teeth. But you don't ever have to get beaten down in life. And if you feel beaten down, it's likely because there's an area of your life caught in spiritual captivity. I think the primary emotion of people who experience spiritual slavery is hopelessness. Are you hopeless about an area of your life? You might be in spiritual slavery. You might be in a spiritual Egypt. You may feel hopeless in life. You may be at the end of your rope. You may feel like there's nowhere else to turn. You may feel like there is no answer left. And you may feel like giving up. But you serve a God who will never give up on you. You serve a God that always brings hope to a hopeless situation. You serve a God that can shine light even into the deepest, most miserable darkness. You serve a God this morning who is coming to rest. Rescue you if you'll admit that you need to be rescued. If you'll admit there's an area of your life that's broken. If you'll admit there's an area of your life where you are enslaved. God will come and he will set you free. God can set you free. In Exodus chapter 3. So, so God's speaking to Moses in Exodus 6. But he's already said some powerful words to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. I want to give these to you real quickly. Exodus 3, 7 or 8. I reference this a lot. I've never gotten to preach on this Sunday morning. I've been waiting to get here all week long. Alright. Exodus 3, 7 and 8. Write this down. Highlight it. This is what I know something about. I'm not a great theologian. I don't have a mathematics advanced degree. If you need to know another language, don't ask me about it. But if you need to know how God can take somebody who's depressed and broken and messed up and captive and enslaved, I, I know about that because God rescued me and set me free. God tells Moses, Exodus 3, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned. Wow, the God of the whole entire universe has seen the misery of his people, has heard them crying out, and is concerned. Isn't that beautiful? God's concerned 
with their suffering. So he has decided to leave heaven in the name of Jesus and rescue a people that have no value, that have no worth, that have no offering to give. Just because of his great love for his people, he has come down to rescue them. Four things about this verse. First, God can see your misery. We don't have a God up in the heavens who is disconnected from your situation, who is uninterested in your situation, who cannot see your situation. The God that we serve can see every moment in your life that causes you misery, that causes you pain, and that causes you suffering. Psalm 125, 121 verse 5 says, The Lord watches over you. God's watching over you. The Lord is a shade at your right hand. That, that, that term shade is a, is a Hebrew word we might say like a protective shade. When you've been out in the hot sun in a famine, in a spiritual famine in your life, and you are just getting baked and beaten down, here comes this cool breeze and this beautiful shade because your God is watching over you. God has seen your misery. And God's heard your cry. Some of you are in such miserable situations and you're desperate and you've been crying out to God. And the question on your mind is, God, can you hear my cry? God, can you hear my suffering? God, I am miserable and I am broken and I am beaten down and I am in captivity and I'm crying out to you, Lord. Can you hear my cry? And God in Exodus 3 sends a resounding yes to you this morning. I can hear your cry. Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But it's not as though God can just see you and hear you and is content to do nothing. He's concerned about your suffering. The pain you go through moves the heart of God. Every single deep valley you've ever traveled through, every dark night you've lived through, every time you have struggled with that stronghold or that sin or that lie, it moves God's heart and He is concerned With your suffering, Jesus taught about this in Matthew 10. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? They're of virtually no value. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of our Father's care. And even the very hairs of your head. And in my case, that number is getting less and less. Okay, I I can see that. (laughs) Now that's where you're supposed to say, oh, preacher, hey. No. No. No, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. It's comforting to me to know that even the hair on my head is numbered by God. So I don't have to be afraid because my Bible tells me that I am worth more than a sparrow. And you know, that's one of the lies the enemy's tried to feed to you, that you're not worth anything. That because of your slavery, you're worthless And you're not good enough. And God would never rescue you. And God led you here this morning to hear the truth that help. Come on, somebody. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. Uh, The Apostle Paul talks about this in Titus chapter 3, verse 3 and 5. He tells us God's rescue plan. 
So here's what we're going to be doing over the course of this series. God's rescue plan for Egypt is Passover. There's a really interesting and important parallel between Passover and the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's God's rescue plan from our spiritual slavery, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read you the words of a man who is absolutely enslaved and sinful and sin-sick and broken, whose life was transformed. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to a young man. He's training for ministry. His name's Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 and 5. This is the story of God's plan of redemption. This is how God is going to set you free. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passion and pleasure. Let me just pause right there. If you cannot acknowledge that that was you at one time, it's likely because it is still you right now. And you're deceived and not realizing that that's the lifestyle you're still living. At one time we were foolish, disobedient, and deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passion and pleasure. Our culture and the enemy would like for you to believe that there is no passion that could enslave your life. But it's those very worldly, fleshly passions that are the best hooks the enemy uses to snag the lips of the children of God and put them into slavery. If sin didn't feel good and pleasurable and passionate, nobody would be doing it. And if you allow yourself to give in to that passion and pleasure, it will absolutely enslave your life and hold you in bondage. At one time, we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We then lived in malice and envy. Listen to this. Being hated and hating everybody else. What kind of a God would rescue someone like that? What kind of a God would send his son? I appreciated the words of Tommy this morning. To save people that hate everybody and are hated by everybody. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his great mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. I want to, I want to conclude with a story that happened to my family yesterday. I'm going to wrap. I'm inside. We ordered pizza. It was raining. And I'm, I'm getting my pizza going. And the kids are outside riding their bikes. My youngest, Judah, is six. Learned to ride his bike without training wheels about a week ago. And that's all the guy wants to do is just be outside on his bike. So I'm inside getting some pizza going. And my kids are outside riding their bikes. And, I, and Kirsten's outside watching them. And, I, and she screams. I hear this like blood-curling scream. And I'm lucky that between me and her, there was a door that was easy to open. I promise you, I would have run through a wall or jumped out a window based on how this sounded. And so I hear this scream. I hear this cry. And it's just everything in me, all my instincts just run. I throw the door open and I'm just full throttle straight out the garage out into the driveway, and Kirsten's like, Judah had a bike wreck, and he's standing across the street holding his arms. So, man, if a car would have been right there, I'd have just run through that thing, man. Because all all I could think when I heard that cry is i I got to rescue my family. 
You know, and I cannot tell you how much I love my kids. I got a lot of brokenness and nastiness in my past, and they're so innocent and precious. It's just easy for me to love those guys. And, and can I just tell you that doesn't even compare to the love that God has for y'all? And when you cry out to him the same way Kirsten cried out to me, he is coming to your rescue. You just got to surrender to him. You got to give it all to him. You got to be willing to say, God, not my will, but yours be done in my life from now on. Every single one of these lessons, guys, is going to emphasize the ability to be set free by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning... As I close in a prayer, I invite you to respond and let, let the Spirit of God set you free and let this family surround you and encourage you while that process is happening. If you don't need freedom today because you've already been set free, praise the Lord. Find the person in your life that does. I promise you I'm going to be preaching hard at them to give their life and will. Surrender it all over to the Lord God and really be set free. Please bow with me. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you so thankful for your word, so thankful for the hope that we find there. God, you want to bring us out of spiritual captivity. You want to set us free, not just take us out of slavery, but take the slavery out of our hearts and minds and redeem us. You want to pay the price for our freedom. There is no such thing as freedom without a cost. And it's a cost we can't pay. And by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you paid the price for our freedom and set us free so that we could become true children of yours and rescue those who are still in captivity. God, thank you for uh, seeing our misery, hearing our cry, being concerned about our suffering and rescuing us. God, I pray you would rescue anyone this morning who is under the burden of spiritual slavery. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray all these things. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.